Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. one of you would look. Is that me? <laughs> ringtones are really not that new a concept. You may think it is, but there were ringtones decades and decades ago. They were called party lines. A party line was, I mean, the rings all sounded the same, but, but they would be one long, two short, two short, two long. You know, it'd be this sequence of, of rings to let you know that it was your house. Um, in fact, uh, Leanne's grandfather, uh, Bethel Stowers, to his dying day, he, he answered the phone, our ring. Now, I thought for years he was saying Irene, because he'd answered the phone, Irene, Irene who? And, so, and, and I finally asked him, I said, Papa, what, what are you saying when you answer the phone? He said, Irene. I said, what? Irene. Our ring, yeah. Why? Because he said, that's how when we grew up on a party line, that was our ring. And so we would answer the phone, that's our ring. And so whether it was, as I say, whether it was a long, too short, too short, you know, three long, whatever the, whatever the sequence was, you had to memorize your sequence because there were other people and they could pick up on the phone and hear you talking at their house as well. So uh, that's, what, that's how party lines worked. And, and to let you know that it was yours, you had, to, you had a certain sequence of rings. Uh, today... <clears throat> There are at least four questions here in this text we're going to look at that grace calls. Grace, as, as we've begun this series a couple of weeks ago, we looked at this idea of the gratitude of grace. How it's the basis really for everything we should be thankful for. Last week we looked at this idea of immeasurable grace. How it's, how it's beyond the bounds of our comprehension of how much grace God continues to pour out, to pour out, and pour out, and pour out, and pour out to us. Um, today... Paul speaks to this Ephesian church and consequently necessarily to us about this idea of grace having a call on our life and grace mattering to the extent that it changes the way we do things. It changes the way we look at things, changes our viewpoint, changes our attitudes, changes even our experience. So let's look at this text together in, in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 2 to 8. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, that is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. So we see Paul drawing in this idea of grace around his call. And then as well to the Ephesians, beckoning to them, grace is calling you too. Grace has called me to you 
Grace is calling you too. And so I want us to see today these, these four questions that Grace wants to know. Initially, Grace wants to know, do you see the revelation? Do you see the things that he's talking about here? Look at, look at verses 2 to 3. Again, he says, uh, that is, verse 3, that is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. This mystery made known to me by revelation. What's the revelation? Paul says that the grace God has given me, I in turn give to you. That's this revelation to say grace is to be shared. It's not to be hoarded. It's not to be consumed. It is to be relished, but it is also to be given away and shared. And that's, that's what Paul describes as this great revelation that he, that he has, has gotten from the Lord. Now, why is grace such a huge call for Paul? It's a huge call because Paul was a man of the law. Paul was, Paul was schooled in the law. In fact, Paul was the most credentialed person of his day. He had more degrees, you know, hanging down his back than about anybody around in that day. He had been to the, all the elite schools. He had been to the, to the Harvards and the Yales and the Princetons and, and, and those things of, of his day. And so he was the most credentialed person to walk into any church and say, here's what God is saying. Here's what the Bible says. Here's what this means. The most credentialed person of his day. But it, grace just over, I mean, it, it just overtook him and it astounded him. Why? Because he wasn't schooled in grace. He was schooled in the law. And he could break down the law for you. And he could say, here's what this means, here's what this means. But grace blew him away. From his Damascus Road experience of meeting Christ, grace overwhelmed him. And so he says, part of my call is, and, 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 and this is a mixed congregation here of Jew and Gentile he's speaking to, but he says, part of my call is to, to help you see the value of grace. That, that, that we are living under grace and God has given us grace and he's given me grace to impart to you so that you'll see it and you'll learn to, to live it and relish it and walk in it. Now, this was a 180 in his behavior. Grace often does that to us. If you will allow, allow the Holy Spirit to speak grace into your situation, into your life, into, into this relationship, into work, into money, into marriage, into all these things, if you allow the Holy Spirit to speak grace into those situations in your life, and we'll tell you, it'll blow you away. And it will cause you to oftentimes go a 180 from where you have thought about this person, that person, this situation, that circumstance. You'll see it in a totally different light when you start looking through the lens of grace. Why? Because grace does that to us. When we've realized the grace we've been given and that same grace to be given away, it, grace overwhelms. It overwhelmed Paul. Paul was a bright guy, but he couldn't get his, he couldn't get his bright mind around the concept of grace. And I'm gonna tell, as I told you two weeks ago, if you can do that, you and I need to talk because I, you know, I've been studying this thing for a while, and I'm going to tell you, grace blows me away too. It, it's unfathomable to me how knowing me like I know me, and God pours out his grace in my life, and knowing you like some of I know you, like I know some of you, and God pouring his grace into your life. It's, it's an unfathomable thing how this how it works. But that, this, this idea of, of it being a revelation should be, it should be a revelation to each of us to say, it'll bring about that kind of change in me if I learn to be not a reservoir of grace, but a funnel for grace into the lives of other people. Uh, that's what he's calling us to, and that's what, that's what grace initially wants to know. Secondly, grace wants to know, and, and, and grace is called to us, are you ready for this season? Are you ready for this season? Look at verses 4 and 5. In reading this, then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was made known to me, uh, which was made known to people in other generations as it has now, not my, I'm sorry, which was not made known to people in other generations as, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God, uh, to God's holy apostles and prophets. It was not made known, he says, to other generations, yet it has been made known now to us, to the holy apostles and the prophets. And again, Paul is saying, 
through me to you. What generations ahead of us, he said, didn't experience, our generation is now experiencing grace. Um, There is, you are where you are in life, in this room, in this place this morning, and born to the home you were born into, born to the place you were born into, um, and, and have been drawn to this place, whether or not you're a whether or not you're, you're heading to Odessa or whether or not you're from California or whether, regardless of where you originated, you are here in this place today for a reason. You are here probably for a season, whether the season is long or whether the season is short. Paul is saying in this verse, grace is in your season. There's a season for grace and we are in it. We're in the church age. That's where grace is poured out. There's going to be a day when the door closes on grace. As we, as we read the, the, the end of this story at the end of this book, the door will close on grace one of these days, but we are in that season of grace. God has given you and I the privilege to live in the most incredible season on earth, this season of grace. And he's saying that though we have it for a season, we need to maximize it for what it, has, what it is doing. He says uh, today's call is, has now been revealed. In essence, he's saying the Spirit is in some way bringing the blinders back off of your eyes or should be bringing the blinders back off of your eyes to where he said, I, I get the law. I understand the law, but grace will blow you away. If you, if you, if you will allow it to reveal itself to you in a way that is, that is uh, well, in a way where you're, you're walking away saying and thinking and believing and probably sharing, only God could have done that. That's an only God thing. I mean, that's God showed up here and, and, and did what he did, did what he does in an incredible way. And, and when there are those kinds of explanations in your life over and over and over about situation after situation, you know what that is? That's God's grace being seen and lived out and revealed to you in your life and in your world and in, and in your time. Um, today's audience um, is probably less receptive but more accessible. Yesterday's audience, my, my parents' and grandparents' audience, was probably more receptive but less accessible. Today's audience, less receptive, I think, you may agree or disagree, less receptive and more acceptable, it was, we have so many things at our disposal in how to communicate the gospel today that our, our parents and grandparents didn't have. They had letters and cards and calls and maybe personal contact or, or, or a personal visit. But you and, I can, you and I can take a device and share the gospel from this room this morning around the world. To somebody on the other side of the globe can share the message of Jesus with them. And in fact, th- this reminds me of, uh, of a passage in... in in Exodus chapter 4, God's calling Moses to deliver his people. And Moses, as you know, is intimidated by all of this. And, and, uh, and, and he's up on the mountain. And, and, and he says, Moses, what's that in your hand? And Moses says, a staff, a rod, a stick, basically. He says, throw it down. Of course, you know the story. Moses throws it down on the ground. It becomes a serpent. It kind of scares him away a little bit. He steps back. God, God says, now step in and grab it by the tail. He grabs it by the tail and becomes a stick again. It becomes a rod again. Showing Moses, I can use anything, anywhere, anytime, in any way. I'll blow you away if you'll, if you'll allow me to and not limit me and put me in a box that, that's only as big as your mind. I'll blow you away. So he asked Moses, what do you have in your hand? Moses, of course, shows him the stick. And I think he's asking the same question today of us. What do you have in your hand? What have I given you? What have I allowed you to to be a part of in a season, at a place in life where uh, communication is limitless and it's global and yet we spend our time buying tennis shoes or 
going to Amazon. Nothing wrong going to Amazon buying Christmas presents. Look, Amazon's a great thing. Don't, it's not evil. It's not. But we spend our time. We have technology in our hands. To, to some of you, some of you may remember Mike Burks. Mike was was one of our first elders here at church. He died of cancer uh, several months in, into our, our church plant, and Mike had a tremendous ministry with a telephone. I mean, he would send text messages and verses and, and words of encouragement and quotes from everybody from Billy Graham to Corey Ten Boom to, you know, and send those to people every day and just whoever's in his, in his, in his list. And you'd get those texts of encouragement or verses and things from Mike. And you'd be surprised how, how poignant it was for the moment that you were, you were going through at the time. And so, you know, and I thought, man, what a, what a, here's a guy that says, here's what's in my hand. And I'm going to use what God's put in my hand to reach people that I, I may never be able to reach otherwise. And, and, of course, Mike was from Texas. Jerry and I flew to Texas to preach his funeral down there. And hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people showed up for Mike's funeral. And I shared some of the stories with them of, about that very thing, and they got the same thing. So Mike was texting people in Texas, texting people in California, texting people all across the country those same verses and those same thoughts and those same ideas about the gospel and the love of Jesus. And what a ministry. I, he, he's, he's this modern, or is one of, one of the modern day Moses to say, here's what's in my hand, and I'm going to use the things God's put in my hand to reach people for him the best I can. I may not reach them all, but I'm going to reach who I can. I'll, I'll allow God to sort out all the rest. He was obedient to what he had. And I think we are in a season where we, we're reaching people is the easy. Now, their, receptive, their receptivity to, to, to the message, I think, is becoming calloused and cold and hardened. But their accessibility is never is like it's never been before, and man, we need to seize on that. We need to seize on the opportunity God's given us. Um, he's been gracious enough to give you a season, to give you this season of your life that you can pour into the lives of others. Grace. Are we doing that? Are we maximizing the season that, that we're in? Thirdly, Grace wants to know: Can you get beyond yourself? Verse six speaks to that. Let's look at that together. This mystery is that. Through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. Now, as I shared with you, this church at Ephesus was a mixed congregation. Consequently, the Jews and Gentiles in this congregation were, obviously by the way he's writing, and the, what he's writing and the way he's writing it here, were at odds with each other. And they were at odds with, as we see, as you look on later in the book of Ephesians, they were at odds with each other because the Jews saw themselves as, as, as this, the elite party, the one that Jesus had come to, the, the, the nation that Jesus had, had come to, that he had, but they were the people of promise, more or less. And they were, and still are, as far as that goes, sitting here in, the, in this church this morning. God's, pe- God's people, the, the nation of Israel, the Jews, are still his people of promise. And, and what's going on in the, in the Middle East, I'm going to tell you, you, you can surround the, There was a story this past week of how ISIS and ISIL are gaining footholds in every country around the nation of Israel. I'm going to tell you, they can gain all the footholds they want to. God's going to protect that nation. He promised to, and he's going to. And that's just as simple as it is. That nation's not going to fall. I'll tell you, I don't care how, how, much, how big the troops are around. I don't care how big the technology is, <clears throat> what kind of rep- weaponry they're surrounded with. God's going to protect them. He's got his hand on them. He promised to, and he's going to still today. But the, the Jews in the church saw themselves as elite Christians. Now, they were Messianic Jews. They were Jews that believed in Christ as Messiah, had confessed him as Savior, but they were seeing themselves in, in, in this Gentile world, uh, in, the, in the Gentile-laden city of Ephesus, too, seeing themselves as, a, as having a, an edge up in their faith over the Gentiles. 
and seeing themselves in, in kind of an elite place. And, and Paul just attacks that right off the back, bat in verse 6 and says, the, the Gentiles are heirs together. And we'll tell you, that's strong language for a Jewish person. To tell, to, to tell a Jewish person that this Gentile is the same heir with has the same lineage as you, they're a co-heir with you, that's strong language to a Jewish person because they hold their heritage with deep, deep conviction. And so Paul just attacks that heritage and says, this Gentile heritage is the same heritage you have. We're under the same, same lens, looking through the same lens of grace here. Um, so we'll never see and consequently be burdened for people around us if we see ourselves as better than them. And I think God's calling us to see our world for what it is and see ourselves for who we are today. Uh, Paul recognized that, of course, and extended, he's extending grace here to, 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 to folks beyond whether they deserve it or not. And, um, and that's what God's calling us to, regardless of skin color, regardless of, of socioeconomic status, regardless of sexual orientation, regardless of, of, of where they come from, regardless of their speech, regardless of their language, regardless of what they look like, how they behave, what their vocabulary is, God has called us to, to, to expel and expend the grace from us that he gives us to them. Um, as I've shared with you a couple of weeks ago, what this world will, will see and experience one of these days is judgment from God. It's coming. It's inevitable. What they need to see from us today until judgment comes is the grace that he's pouring out all over them, loving them incredibly. To say, I don't care what your sin is. I don't care what your thoughts are. I don't care where you've come from. I don't care what you've done. Grace is bigger than all of that. And that's what a lost world needs to see from us today. I wonder if they do. We've got to get beyond ourselves for them to see it. And that's what he wants these, these Jewish believers to know is to say, we've got to break this down. Because you, you are of Jewish heritage, you've trusted Christ. Yes, you're a Messianic Jew. Yes, you're a person of promise. But they are too. And these, these half-breeds, these misfits that you think you're going to church with every week, God looks into the lens of their life and blesses them and loves them and has the same promise for them that he has for you. We need to recognize that. And we need to see our world in a different, through a different lens, through a lens of grace. We've got to get beyond ourselves. Get beyond ourselves to do that. Fourthly, not only does grace want to know, do you see the revelation? Are you ready for this season? And can you get beyond yourself? But, but here's, a, here's a real poignant one in verses 7 and 8 point this out. Grace wants to know, are you willing to serve? Are you willing to serve? Look at what he says there in those two verses. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his power. Although, and watch this, although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Are you like me in that customer service is becoming rare, rarer and rarer and rarer? Um, it's, 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 it amazes me how <laughs> the, the simplest things years ago in walking into store and find somebody to help you with something has become such a challenge anymore. Uh, <clears throat> in fact, I'm in lows so much, so often, that I find myself, if somebody's looking for something and they don't know where it's at, I find myself saying, what are you looking for? Well, I'm looking for, you know, wing nuts. They're down here in the hardware. They're on aisle three. And, 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 and so, but I'll, I'll go into Lowe's myself if I'm looking for something. Now, I usually know where most stuff is anymore now. I don't in Home, home Desperate, but most of the time I do at Lowe's. But, but I'll go in and ask, ask one, of these, one of these people, do you know where such and such? Uh, Carl? Do we know? 
You know, and, it, and 15 minutes later, I'll, I'll end up finding the item. Or you walk into a department store, and have you got this in a, in a, in a small, or have you, got, have you got this in an extra large? You got this in a, uh, honey, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to call the warehouse and get see what's, I just wanted to know, do you, is there a back room someplace? Do you have another size? Uh, well, I won't have to call my, Frank, I'll have to call my manager and get, it's, it's an act of Congress to get any customer, get, to get anybody that knows anything for the most part, and then get service beyond that. And it's usually because it's a high school kid or some kid that's, you know, they're getting minimum wage and trying to make their car payment and put gas in their car. I get it. I understand. But oftentimes it seems as if that their paycheck is far more important than your customer satisfaction. That what they get is far more important to them than your shopping experience. And the fact that you, you should be desirable as, a, as an asset to, to, to want to come back to this company and do business with them again and again and again. It seems as if uh, that they're not there for you, they're there for them. And that may not be the case all the time. But customer service is getting rarer and rarer um, anymore. And I think he's speaking in this verse about himself saying, I'm called to serve. And go back with me now just a moment ago, as I told you, Paul was the, the most credentialed person of his day in this area. And he's saying, God's called me to serve you. Paul, could, as I said, could have walked in any church, and, and, and he had the fame tag. I mean, you walk in any church, it'd be like, you know, I don't know. You, 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 draw, your, you draw your fame tag of whoever you think would be famous in the kingdom coming here to, to share it with us. Rick Warren coming here to share with us, or Andy Stanley, or somebody coming here to share with us. Paul had the fame tag beyond all of that. I mean, he was known in his day, and he was known for his education. He was known for what he knew. He was known for where he had come from. And yet he says here in this verse, I've come to serve you. I've come, in essence, to bow before you, to offer to you something that you've never experienced before, to offer you this vehicle of grace as, as a way to live life, as a way to see people, as a way to see circumstances, unlike you've ever experienced or ever known before. And he does that through the power of the gospel. He does that in two ways. And the gospel here is that he talks about in, in verses 7 and 8 is really a twofold idea of service. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his power. Although I'm less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles. So he brings up the gospel, and he brings up the gospel in two lights. The gospel in light of power, first of all, speaking in, this, in the sense that it is the power of the gospel that changed me. It is the power of the gospel that will change you. Um, it's, and and, and it get, the, the, the power of the gospel gets us to a point, and he got Paul to a point. And here's exactly the point God wants us to get to in every situation. The gospel brings us to a point that, to, to where we have to realize and admit, I can't do this. I can't do this. This is bigger than me. This is beyond my expertise. This is beyond what I know. I can't, I can't draw this person to Christ. I can't share my faith in an effective way. I can't pray in public where I'm not embarrassed. I can't sing very well. I don't know the, I can't, I don't know enough scripture. I can't, I can't, I can't. And oftentimes that's the very place God wants us to get to where we'll understand the gospel of God, the gospel of Jesus in us brings the power in us to do what we could never, never otherwise do on our own. And he's saying the power of the gospel in you, the power of the gospel in me, the power of the gospel in us will enable us to, to go where we've never gone before, to do what we've never done before. So the idea that the gospel empowers is an incredibly uh, 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 revelating piece of theology. Or secondly, though, it's not only about power, but it's about posture. And Paul describes himself, I'm the least, 
I'm in the least place of all of you. And as I said, uh, culturally and, 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 and academically, he wasn't. He was far superior. But he describes himself, he says, I'm the least. In fact, he says that in verse 3, or I'm sorry, in verse 8. Although I'm, the, I'm less than the least of all God's people, he's given me this opportunity to come and share with you. I'm going to tell you, grace changes people. It, it, it did a 180 in Paul. Paul was a pompous, p- proud, pious uh, murderer of believers before God met him on the Damascus Road. And grace overwhelmed him. And grace overwhelmed him to the extent that he walked totally away from this elitist, I'm better than you, and you're going to suffer for it mindset to say, I'm, the, I'm less than the least of all of you. I find myself in a position of God calling me to serve you and, and be of service to you. I'm going to tell you, the grace, grace will overwhelm to the extent that it changes the way you think. It changes our mindset. It changes the way we, beha- we behave. And so Paul recognized the power of the gospel. He recognized that the gospel puts us in a posture of servanthood, a posture of, of, of being lesser um, than, than someone else. And, and that's what grace calls us to. Grace calls us to serve. Now, it's also a great indicator of the amount of grace we're allowing to be lived through our lives. If we find ourselves needing to be served, we need a lesson in grace. If we find ourselves willing to serve and eager to serve, it's probably because we've got a really good glimpse of grace and we're, we're feeding on it. And we're, we're seeing God, as I say before, not use us as a reservoir, but use us as a funnel. And we see ourselves as a funnel of grace, him to us and through us to others. That's an incredible thing when that starts to be the practice, the regular practice of your life. You'll start to look for ways to serve. Start to look for ways to be less than, to, be, to, to, to see yourself as not demanding customer service, but, but wanting to be served yourself. And we, have sat, or we are sadly becoming a customer service uh, people of faith. You know, come to church, meet my needs, serve me, give me a cup of coffee, uh, stroke my stroke my needs, and, and my rather than saying, God, how can I come here today and bring honor and glory to you? I'm here to serve you. I'm here to worship you. I'm here to serve the serve the people that walk into this room and worship them. And so, rather than our being people of service, we find ourselves being sucked into the culture that says, "Here's what you deserve. You deserve for your needs to be met. You deserve to be fed until you're full. You deserve to." to walk away and walk, walk out of this room and out of this church feeling better about yourselves and worse. And, and I, hope you, I hope you leave feeling better about your faith each week. But you know what? Sometimes I leave with a grim reminder of, God, you've got so much to do through me that I'm not, I've never even seen yet. I want to see it. I want to understand it. The vehicle to my seeing it and understanding it is seeing the grace you've poured into my life that I've never even seen before, that I've not even recognized today, yesterday, the day before that. So, the last phrase of verse 8, though, is the power of what the gospel can do. I want you to see that. I don't want us to leave without this. <clears throat> Although I'm less than the least of these God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles, watch this, the boundless riches of Christ. The boundless riches. That's what this world is going to see when we start living grace in front of them. They're going to see him. Now, serving them in ways that are, that are tangible and practical and... and, and, and uh, with very little cost or very little sacrifice on our part, that they're probably going to see very little grace. When we start living and serving in a sacrificial way, people are going to see grace coming out of our life. You know what that looks like? It looks like the boundless riches of Christ. So that's that they're not seeing you. They're seeing the Jesus in you. They're not, they're not seeing, boy, what a person to, to be willing to stoop and wash my feet metaphorically or help me with this or help my family with that. They're going to see the Jesus in all of that. 
That's what Paul points to, to say the gospel will reveal through you and through the grace that you live the boundless riches of Christ to people that are lost. That's what they need to see in us. The vehicle for them seeing it, though, is grace. Close with this thought and we're done. Living a grace-filled life is the call of every follower of Jesus. It's the call of every pastor. It's the call of every missionary. It's the call of every, of every, of every minister. It's the call of every, 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 everybody working in the kingdom. It's also the call of every teacher. It's the call of every coach. It's the call of every engineer. It's the call of every laborer. It's the call of every student. It's the call of each person who's a believer to say, grace-filled life is what I've called you to. I'm calling you to, to, to become a funnel instead of a reservoir of grace. I'm calling, calling you to reveal the things that you've seen me do in your life. Let that be lived out and replicated in someone else's life. The grace that you've seen me pour into you, pour into someone else. That's what a grace-filled life looks like. That's what grace calls us to. And I'm going to tell you, it's a call that we need to, not only we need to hear, but our world needs to see. Our world needs to see believers through a lens of grace. You know how I think they see us now? They care occasionally. Christians care at Christmas. They care at Thanksgiving. They care at Easter. They care occasionally about what's going on, but about the needs of my life, most believers don't care. I think it's the way the world sees us. I think that, that oftentimes is the furthest thing from the truth. I really do. But I think the reason they see it, they don't see grace coming from us. They don't see a willingness to serve. They don't see a selflessness of our willing to get beyond ourselves and see them as more important than us. That's what God's called us to. And I'm going to tell you, it's inconvenient and it's costly sometimes. And it's, uh, uh, sometimes it costs all three of time, talent, and treasure. Uh, but that's what God's called us to. He's called us to live and serve and love this grace-filled life. Um, I'm going to tell you, and I hope you see this unfolding. There's, there's, next week's really going to be really neat. There's, I hope you see unfolding here. This grace is amazing stuff. I mean, this is bigger than I thought, and it is. It's bigger than each of us think, and it is amazing stuff. And as we start to apply it and think that way and live that way, I'm going to tell you, it took, it took a hardened, crusted, uh, self-righteous Paul and totally turned him around into 180. And he, in turn, went to church after church after church and revealed that 180 turn to people to say, God can do this in you too. He's done it in me. He can do it in you. And he can. But they've got to see that grace lived out in way of serving them and loving them and living sacrificially before them. Let's pray. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Crosspoint Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ.